When I hear or read the passage that Randy read from Revelation 7, it brings to mind the pictures I've seen of Martin Luther King's 1963 speech in front of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington. Tens of thousands of people with all shades of skin stood shoulder to shoulder with a visible reminder, as King reminded us, of our early creed that all men are created equal. Listen to a few of his words without the power of his voice behind it. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day the state of Alabama, whose governor's lips are presently dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, will be transformed into a situation where little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls and walk together as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low, the rough places will be made plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. King not only proclaimed, but he saw the beginnings of his dream for his country. Writing almost 2,000 years earlier, John of Patmos gives us his dream. In a time late in the first century when Christians are separating from their Jewish heritage and they are experiencing torturous persecution, John has a dream, a vision for what will come if he and the recipients of his writings are faithful. Today in chapter 7, we're continuing the vision that began in chapter 1. Most recently in chapter 6 and early in 7, he has painted a picture of destruction. But then he inserts this interlude with a glorious image of all nations worshiping our one God. So imagine that. Imagine the different faces, people of lineages from Africa, from the Middle East, from Asia, from the Americas, from Europe. John of Patmos, Martin Luther King, referring back to Isaiah's vision hundreds of of years before Christ. And now, us. Do you have a dream? Do you have a vision of what it means for the glory of the Lord to be revealed and all flesh see it together? Do you have a dream for what you wish life were like? Do you have a dream today? Often when people ask how we're doing, we answer with the expected, fine, or One friend has the pat answer, just peachy. And then my uncle often responds, about the best you ever seen. When we're honest, though, we admit to the pain in our lives. We feel the weight of grief from deaths in our families, in our friendship circles, and in our church. 
We hurt for someone who has an addiction. We admit the pain that our bodies don't do everything we want them to do anymore. We admit our fear that our paycheck or our investments won't carry us through. Or we have the shame of past actions or things that have happened to us and have made us who we are. And this is normal. This is so much more normal than about the best you've ever seen. It sounds good, but it doesn't say who we are. Our Sunday school class was talking about masks today and the masks that we wear. I think this is part of it. John reminds us that really we don't need those masks, I think. He he reminds us that everyone is going through what he calls the great ordeal, life. In his vision, a multitude of different-looking people are they who have come out of the great ordeal. He says they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's an interesting image, isn't it? Blood is red, right? But those who are worshiping God have been purified, have been cleansed, have been whitened through the sacrifice of the Lamb's lifeblood. Like John, do you have a vision of such a victory? Even the palms, he brings out the fact that there are palms being brought here, just like when Jesus came to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It's a sign of victory. Do we have that vision? Writing in the Boston Globe, Ellen Goodman said, Americans once expected parents to raise their children in accordance with the dominant cultural messages. Today, They are expected to raise their children in opposition to them. Once the chorus of cultural values was full of ministers, teachers, neighbors, and leaders, they demanded more conformity but offered more support. Now the messengers are violent cartoon characters, rappers, and celebrities selling sneakers. Parents are considered responsible only if they are successful in their resistance. And that's what makes child raising harder. It's not just that American families have less time with their kids. It's that we we have to spend more of this time doing battle with our own culture. And that's not just for parents. Perhaps you recognize that too. It's not true just for parents and grandparents. We all spend a lot of time resisting our culture. For example, I've heard some of you say that you're nostalgic for the days of the blue laws when everything was closed on Sundays except for church. It was sort of like a a legally enforced Sabbath. We had to rest because there was nothing else to do. And now we have to try to carve an hour here or two hours there to take a breather from life's frantic pace. It's on us now. It's our responsibility now. John of Patmos encourages us to not give in to the beast of culture. 
Anything that tempts us away from the risen Christ can be an arm of that beast. In the words of our founding fathers, all men are created equally. I would say all of humankind are created equally, but all of humankind's inventions are not equal. We're in a constant challenging process of discerning what is of God and what is of humankind. And which one then do we follow? How do we choose? Beauty can tempt us. Adventure can tempt us. Relationships can tempt us. And these can be good motivations, or they can take us in paralyzing and disappointing directions. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair, in his series, The Chronicles of Narnia, the three main characters have been given a task by Aslan, who is the Christ figure in this series. They're to watch for four specific signs in their search for the prince who has not been seen in ten years, and they've already muddled the first two. It's a cold, snowy day, and they are moving north from Narnia onto the plains, and they have already seen some of the mean giants along the way. And they're getting colder, and they're sleeping on the ground, and um, they, they come across on the road a lady on a beautiful horse, and she is beautiful, and she's kind, and she points them further up the road to the house of Harfang, the house of the gentle giants. And she says that there they can find fireplaces and beds and food that, they will, that would delight them. And to just let them know that the lady of the green kirtle has sent them for the autumn feast. Well, it ends up that the lady, beautiful and attractive and kind as she is, has sent them to the house of Harfang, not to join in eating the food around the table, but to being the food at the table. But two of them want to go. One of them doesn't. And he doesn't really know why. He just doesn't feel right about it. But we, we connect with this, I think, that sometimes the, the Holy Spirit may be guiding us in one direction or another. We may feel like, you know, something sounds like the perfect thing, but it doesn't feel right. And we want to trust that Holy Spirit within us to discern what is of God, what is of man. Comfort, personal satisfaction, material wealth, these are among the great American temptations. Earlier in Revelation, John envisioned words of Christ to the Christian church at Smyrna, and he says, I know your affliction and your poverty even though you are rich. Our poverty is that we fear resisting the rich beast of our culture. A grandfather asked his grandson why he would never eat his gravy, and the grandson said, I never know what's going to be under it. It, we, We fear the unknown. 
And Psalm 23 is a great antidote for fear. Psalm 23 gives us another image of salvation, a place where all of our needs are met. Some of you have been to all-inclusive resorts where you pay a, what seems like a huge sum in advance, but then you get to this place and you're well taken care of. You don't have to pay for food. and You don't have to pay for your transportation. And you don't have to pay for um, your room because it's all been paid in advance. And that seems to be the, the image, in a way, of um, Psalm 23. All of our needs are provided. God the shepherd even walks with us through the very valley of the shadow of death. And we are comforted knowing that the darkest valley is not dark to God. And our eyesight doesn't matter as long as God is leading us. Psalm 23 has a a cycle to it. It starts out comforting and beautiful, at least in my imagination, the green valleys and the still waters, that, that comfort to know that God is with us and guiding us. And, and then it moves into the valley of the shadow of death. It recognizes that there is fear, there is resistance, there is the beast around us that causes us to fear. And yet on the other side of that valley is when we re-encounter God, or so it appears. Because really, God has been with us all the time. God has walked, walked with us through that darkest valley and now provides a feast before us and, in the ancient words, anoints our head with oil and our cup, which may not have had much in it, now has so much that it's overflowing. And this goodness and mercy is not just for a time, but it, it follows us all the days of our life. And we dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're not alone. We're never alone. God dwells with us. What is your dream today? Do you dream of being able to praise God like the multitude in John's vision? Do you dream of being able to, to shed those fears, those, that shame, those addictions, that all that stuff that weighs so heavy on us, the grief, and having this time with God, this time of what seems like perfection, it's heaven. In John's vision of heaven, we've resisted the evils of this world. We're purified of all of our sins. We can worship God day and night, and instead of thirsting for God, our spirits are sated with God's love and God's presence. Our spirits are renewed with the springs of the water of life. I love that image. When you're thirsty, you think about a spring and you think about the fresh water that comes from that and how it nourishes you. Springs of the water of life. Springs for our spirit, it means. Typically, springs flow gently out of the earth. But sometimes we think, too, about the the showers that we experience and how they make life challenging and painful. 
And yet we've heard since we were kids probably that April showers bring May flowers. And so here we are faced again with the same motion of Psalm 23. That we have challenges, but we have comfort. We have beauty, but we have comfort. We have abundance, and we have God's comfort with us all along the way. And so what can come from your April showers? What can come from your dreary, overcast days? What is your dream today? As faithful Christians, we seek to plant seeds of resistance to our culture. Just as John was encouraging his readers, we have to remind each other. And that's why we get together. That's one reason we get together, isn't it? To worship. To remind each other that we have each other to depend on. That we're not in this life alone. That we walk with each other. And we resist the culture together. And so God sustains us. Perhaps that's the message of all of these passages, is that that God sustains us no matter what. Let's pray together. I would like to begin a prayer, and then I invite you to share with me our Lord's Prayer. Holy God, of comfort. We do offer our praises to you this morning and our amens that recommit us to you. We pray, God, for your strength to go out from these walls having been comforted and and encouraged by your children to push back the dark curtains of the evil temptations of our culture. And to bring forth your beauty for all to see. We pray these things in the name of the risen Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.